we'll get this thing going. And we are recording, and I'm coming off a weekend of not feeling too hot, so I apologize if I'm a little foggy. Um, but uh, Randy, how about you introduce yourself, or how about both of you introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Randy Ireland. I'm co-founder of Citizens Against Political Persecution, as well as Americans for Justice. Uh, you can find us at www.a4justice.org. We're an organization that seeks to unite uh, Americans around the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and due process. And, you know, the one thing I'll say, you know, we're, we're here in America right now, we're fighting on so many different battlefronts, whether it's election integrity, um, medical freedom, uh, the political prisoners, the southern border crisis, CPS and child trafficking. And the one thing that they all have in common is really the lack of due process, um, which, type, you know, it was born out of the Constitution and born out of the Bill of Rights. Every single U.S. citizen has, you know, constitutionally protected rights in the forms of the Bill of Rights. So that's really what we're about. We're, we're an organization. We're looking at establishing chapters in all 50 states. Um, and part of that is, is working very, very much really at the core of, of, of what I do is really January 6th and the political prisoners, regardless of what you think about the crimes that were, were committed on January 6th, every single U.S. citizen has a right to due process. And in this particular case, for political reasons, these guys are being held in solitary confinement, locked down 22, 23 hours a day, denied medical service, um, uh, medical treatment, denied religious services, denied haircuts, barbers, I mean, it's been going on now for a year and a half. I think we're up to, what, 589 days? 591. 91 days. And so, you know, one of the things that, that Mickey and I have been doing is is we're here in Washington, D.C. Um, a lot of people may not know this, but um, the January 6th political prisoners, we have 34 of them right now at the D.C. jail. We call it to the D.C. gulag um, because of what they're going through. And Every, every night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, they, they all stand up, unite, and sing the national anthem. Um, and so we came to the D.C. Um, jail, uh, to, to D.C. this month, to stand in solidarity with them outside the jail and to sing the national anthem with them at 9 p.m. So we're there at the jail uh, every day this month. Uh, we're probably going to extend that into next month. We're working on it. But... Um, we're, we're there at the jail. We invite everybody to come out and join us from 7 p.m. And we're always there till at least 9.30, 9.30 p.m. Yep. And with that, I'll let Mickey introduce her. I'm Mickey Whithoff. I'm Ashley Babbitt's mom. Ashley Babbitt was the woman shot at the Capitol on the 6th of January. Um, we're here to stand in solidarity with our political prisoners. Um, like Randy said, 591 days in. Um, they're being denied access to their family as well as all the things Randy listed. And it's just inhumane treatment. It, they're, you know, they're, it's a, an American born right to protest and to exercise your first amendment rights. And even if you don't support what they were there protesting, you have to support the American right to protest. And so could you explain to a layman like me, why it is that they still have not been given a, a fair trial, why it is that they're just locked away and the keep run away? Well, 
political persecution, really. You know, we stand, I'm sorry, there's something in my throat. You we can. stand on the corner of the jail where they can see us and everybody else in that jail um, visitors walk right past us to see their people. But it's simply our people that um, don't have access to their families. A lot of it is done in the shroud of COVID-19 and the vaccines and all of that. You know, that's the excuse they use, you know. But at the same time, there are some some of our J6 political prisoners that have gotten the vaccine, but still are not allowed to use or to, or to have family visits or even video visitation um, while everybody else in the jail is, is has, has that uh, ability. So it's just one more way to break them, you know, and it's it's my belief that they want them in this solitary confinement in horrible conditions. So they'll take horrible plea deals because. You know, if they're shown their discovery against them and that is is exposed, then that will expose the culpability of the FBI, the bad behavior on the Capitol Police that day. And not just the murder of my daughter where Michael Byrd publicly executed her, but there were four American unarmed citizens that died at the hands of the Capitol Police, Metropolitan Police that day. And I think that, you know, at the very least, we need to investigate what went on that day. I mean, an honest investigation, not the January 6th political show trial that's been happening. Now... <clears throat> Me too. Yeah, yeah, we're both coffins, right? Um, but there, no matter how much of a BS reason it is, what is the official reason they've given? Because I, I doubt that maybe they have. I don't know. They're they're pretty evil people. I doubt they've come out and said they're political prisoners, even though we all know that's what it is. So well, it all goes back. It really all goes back to the Patriot Act. You know, when 9-11 happened, the Patriot Act was signed into place. Really what the Patriot Act is, it allowed the federal government uh, more powers to go out, you know, find terrorists and to prevent another 9-11 from happening. Now, at the time that President Bush signed it into law, um, there was a 10-year, there's a 10-year expiration date on it. Um, and really, I mean, everything that was put into place at that point in time primarily applied to foreign terrorists, not not domestic terrorists. And, and over the process of that 10-year period of time, and when Obama took office, Obama renewed that at the end of that 10-year period into the 2012 uh, National De Defense Authorization Act. Yeah. And it's been renewed every year, two years, or, or whatever the case is. Um, but when he renewed that, he basically opened it up where the federal government could point their finger at anybody, call them a domestic terrorist, even for a social media post, which is First Amendment protected free speech. You know, um, and there are some limitations to that. We all recognize that Supreme Court, you know, you can't can't yell fire in a, in a crowded theater, different things along that line. So there are some limitations to the free speech. It's not open to everything. But what's happening is, and what you see, especially with January 6th, is people will have, uh, you know, make social media posts. And the DOJ and the FBI will rip it out of context, put it on black and white paper and say, see, this person's a domestic terrorist. And that is how they have weaponized, you know, something that initially had, had good intent in keeping the American people safe. But what it has really done is watered down and stripped away our rights, our freedoms, our liberties. And more importantly, it's given the, the federal government this idea that they are the end-all, be-all. That they can do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want. And, it, and it's a runaway overreach of government. There's no, there's no other 
no other way to describe it. It's tyranny. And and when you look at, you know, what, what existed prior to January 6th to what is occurring right now as a result of January 6th, I mean, January 6th was an excuse for the FBI and the DOJ to move over, over 50 and reassign over 50% of their assets. You know, prior to January 6th, 90% of the counterterrorism uh, was devoted to foreign terrorism and foreign terrorist threats. January 6th gave them the reason that they needed to, to completely flop that on its head. Today, 10% of counterterrorism is focused on foreign threats. 90% is focused on domestic threats. And that might be easier to understand if you knew that um, the, the biggest threats to this country as deemed by the FBI are Christians and American veterans. And also, that to me is bizarre, that American veterans as a group pose a threat to this country. It boggles my mind. But um, also 72% of uh, the, the Americans arrested from January 6th are veterans. So that's something to keep in mind, that these men that are in jail and being persecuted for their for their activities that day are men that fought hard for the rights that you and I take for granted every day. And it's just um, such a violation. Everybody, like, I, and I know I said already, not just their constitutional rights, but their, their human rights. They're being, you know, the, the food they have to eat, the... Um, the thing, and also in D.C., the judges that once they do go to trial after they're like, like we said, you know, some of our men pre-trial detention for 591 days now. But our people that do eventually go get to stand in front of a judge, stand in front of judges that say every single person that day was the antithesis of a patriot. The only patriots that day were the Capitol Police. And I've seen enough footage of the Capitol Police behaving horribly. I mean, it, it looked like they wanted to just engage in a, in, a, in a street brawl instead of, you know, actually do police maybe did things that riled the crowd up. You know, the routing people on the front instead of dealing with them and arrested them, they launched munitions over them into a peaceful crowd. You know, they beat women uh, that day. Women seemed to be an immense target. You know, when we went to Kyle Simon's trial, the prosecutor introduced uh, footage of, of Kyle, but in the corner, we all recognize because we've seen these, this footage over and over, but I don't even know if the prosecutor realized that he introduced this footage, this, this evidence, <laughs> because they've been, the bar that they've had to reach as prosecutors has been low. They really just have to go in there and say, he did it. And the judge goes, yeah, shame on you. You did it. You're in jail for, but so that's been their experience. But the prosecutor actually introduced footage of Victoria White getting beat within an inch of her life. And we were all, look, look what's happening. But that, those are the things that Call Fit Simons was reacting to. And the fact that there, there was some violence in the crowd that day. We have, um, I think, 12, 12 of our men are in jail as a result of trying to save that, that cluster of people that Roseanne, died, or Roseanne Boylan died in. Um, we have a, a housemate with us at the time, Tommy Tatum, is here with us. And he was under that pile with those people. And Maccabee, Mellis. Lang, and I'm, I'm really not sure exactly who else was involved, were involved in trying to remove those people that were dying underneath that pile of people and, and, and render them aid. But in sticking with the theme of the day, the Capitol Police did not want to render aid, and they did not want to allow patriots to render aid. Ashley had a possibly survivable wound if she would have been rendered aid in a timely fashion. But not only did they not do that, they prevented American citizens from rendering her aid. And Roseanne Boylan, was already blue and bleeding from the mouth and the nose when Leela Morris raised her weapon up over her head and beat her lifeless body on the ground until she bounced with her lifeless blue self and then they drug her off by her foot. So disrespectful, these are, these are things that are, are, are documented with video evidence. So, you know, it's my position, we really need to get somebody to take a look at that because the things that happened that day 
at the hands of the Capitol Police are, are, are arrestable offenses. So and then I, I also would, would like to say I do back the blue, but in my mind, the Capitol Police are not the average police force. You know, every police force um, answers to external review if something happens, but the Capitol Police Force don't. It's a completely internal review system, just like, you know, Michael Byrne shouldn't have been there to shoot my child that day because he had ex a prior excessive use of force issue. He left a loaded Glock in, the, in a public restroom for somebody else to find, and it's my position he should have been fired. So when people say those people shouldn't have been there that day, we absolutely had a right to be there. Who shouldn't have been there was Michael Byrne. Well said. Well said. It's, could you could you maybe go over the uh, the withdrawal or the the lack of rendered aid to the to the woman under the pile? That's something I wasn't aware of. Oh my god! Yeah, it was awful. You know, we like I said, our housemate Tommy Tatum was here, and he is here, and he was laying right next to Roseanne Boylan when she died. So the horrors that he had to see—I mean, he's still affected by it, as I'm sure many people are. But yeah, um, Roseanne ended up under a pile of people. And there were a bunch of people trying to to make a, a, a separation between the push of the crowd, the police, and the room they needed to render this woman aid. And they were pepper sprayed. They were beaten. They were told to get the F away from her. And then um, when the police did drag her out in, in pretense of helping, they drug her out by her leg and pulled her off into God knows where. And so there is a, a little bit of missing time there where you don't know what they did with her body between a certain amount of time. But yeah, that's all, it's all documented on videotape that, you know, patriots are trying to save her and American citizens were trying to save her and it just wasn't allowed to happen. And, and like I said, she was under the pile already unconscious and, and bleeding when Lila Morris raised her, her weapon up over her hand and beat Roseanne Boylan's lifeless body until she was tired. They literally killed her twice. And not only that, I mean, the one thing I'll back up from that, you have you have um, Benjamin Phillips and Kevin Greeson that was also killed earlier. Um, the two of them, you know, ultimately what happened, and, and there's so many different levels of complexity of what happened on January 6th. You know, if you were on one side of the building, there's a lot of violence, a lot of, um, and to be honest with you, I mean, what, the one thing that we saw that's, that, that's blatantly visible for anyone to see um, we were in the Kyle Fitzsimmons trial last week, Fitzsimmons, and um, the one thing that, you know, the one thing that we saw is so much, and especially what happened there in the tunnel, but I mean, it goes back, uh, the first barrier was, was, was pushed and breached about 12.55 p.m. in the afternoon. Trump was still speaking at that point in time. Um, but more, when you, when you get up, I, I think it was somewhere along the lines of like 1.20 p.m., that's when there was a lot of very peaceful people with some instigators and agitators at the very front. And what law enforcement did is they fired a 20-minute barrage of rubber bullets, um, tear gas, um, flashbangs, flashbang grenades. I mean, all of this stuff. They fired it from up top over the instigators into the peaceful crowd and the peaceful people. And that's exactly where Benjamin Phillips and Kevin Greeson died. Yep. And when when they went down, I mean, one of them was hit by one of these flashbangs, and I believe the other one, the one exploded within like two or three feet of him. And so, you know, the official report is that they died of natural causes, died of a heart attack, died of a stroke. And it's like the fact of the matter is without those flashbang grenades, they most likely would not have died. Also, um, Officer Brian Sicknick, 
I mean, I, I believe in sticking with the theme of the day, they did not render their comrade aid, and he had a stroke, and they just told him, go lay down, and, and also we had patriots that said, he doesn't look right, let right. me help him, and that was not allowed either, so so he, he died at their hands as well, in, in my opinion, but, you know, that's just my opinion, but what there's video proof of is my daughter's public execution, Roseanne Boylan's public execution, and the monstrosity, the, the monstrosity that the Capitol Police became. I don't know if they suited up that day to go there and behave that way, or if they too just got sucked up in their own mob mentality, but it looked like they were just interested in engaging in street war. There, were, there was a man in the corner that was trying to get out, and they kept pushing him back with a shield and beating the shit out of him. Sorry. No, and, you can hey, you can say whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> okay, there you go. And then, like I said, Victoria White, she was a, she was. A, a small woman and you can see the white shirt which clearly means he's in charge reaching over people to target her and hit her in the head almost 60 times at least until he was tired punch her in her face and then we don't know what happened after they drug her off so just their behavior that day is seriously some arrestable offenses going on and the capitol police are so untouchable which i again i didn't realize until what happened to my daughter, that they operate with impunity, that they answer to no one, that they're an arm of Congress. They're not even actually a police force. They're a separate arm of Congress. They answer to Congress. They take their orders from Congress. And they're also very, very, very much protected by Congress. And that's, yeah, I mean, and I'll touch on that. I mean, one thing I do want to just touch on is like a lot of that violence that happened in the tunnel. Um, Lila Morris was Metro PD. Um, a lot of the officers that we saw on the stand you know, during the Kyle trial, uh, Metro PD. So it's not just, it's not just the Capitol Police. I think Metro PD ultimately played a much bigger deal in a, in a much bigger role in what occurred on January 6th. Um, but like, like, like Mickey was saying, 2012, I think it was, um, I, I believe that Congress passed legislation to say that Capitol Police could not be FOIA requested. Oh yeah, you can't FOIA request them either. They're not subject to Freedom of Information Act. Like literally, whatever they do, they can do, and you can't question them on it. You can't find the evidence. You can't. Michael Byrd was never even in, he was never even interviewed by the police. You know, he was exonerated after an investigation. Well, there was not an investigation. There was never a crime scene roped off. They they let my daughter lay there and bleed out, and then they mopped her up like a piece of trash and went on with business, and, and that's just not acceptable. And it's also not acceptable for him to have to not have to answer any questions about that day or his prior conduct as a police officer or the fact that, you know, he said that she did not comply. Well, I would like to see proof because, you know, they say there's no footage in the hall bullshit and you know there's a camera right over where it happened it's our footage it's american it's it belongs to the american people i personally can't watch it but i would like people to have the opportunity to watch it that that would you know be able to form an opinion of he never told my daughter to stand down he my daughter was well versed in the use of force continuum she never saw him as a person much less a police officer he just popped out checked his earpiece and shot her and um with no with no stand down orders and if it was so important for him and he says he did say it he should have taken off his fucking mask and enunciated because i saw nothing and nobody behind that door heard anything either and, and let's talk about the three police officers that moved out of my daughter's way before she went through that window and I have seen enough footage where my daughter was angry with these police she's like call for backup call for fucking backup and then they didn't and then Zach Alon broke the window she left hooked him and then she was up in the window and I haven't seen any more than that 
but I know that I saw a point in her where it turned from frustration and anger with the police for not calling for help to fear. So I did see fear on my daughter's face, which is, is you know, it's kind of hard to look back and see that. But small nuggets of comfort are, are that that was a good day for Ashley. She was very proud, very happy to be there until everything went south, which is, seems to be like so many, like Randy was saying, some people that were on the other side of the building never saw a violent moment and did not realize these things have ha had happened until they got home. If you were on the other side of the building, it was a completely different experience. Sure. And the one thing I'll say along the lines of what Mickey was talking about, I mean, there, there were individuals inside that chamber where Michael Leroy Gord was, one of them is Representative Troy Troy Nails. Nails Troy Nails Texas. And you know, just the information that he has given and what he has recounted of what he saw and experienced, that should open up an independent investigation into this. Yeah. Um, you know, Troy Troy is 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 you know a very well respected military veteran himself. He's also and a retired sheriff. You know? And and I mean his background. I mean, how how do you hear his testimony of what occurred and not open an, an immediate independent investigation? You know, and this is the thing. I mean, it's just, it just it just seems like there's so much that comes down from up top. And, and what it does at the end of the day is it shreds our Constitution. I think there's no day in the history of our country that shows, that ought to show the American people just how much we are in for a war, of a war for that constitution, our constitution rights, the things that underpin our liberties, our freedoms, and, and our pursuit of happiness. You know, and then at the end of the day, it all comes down to justice. If you don't have justice, you don't have any of those things. You have no reasonable expectation of life, no reasonable expectation of freedom, liberty, or the pursuit of happiness. So we need to get back, and then, and again, the power right now, it just seems, and I think every American just kind of has it in the back of their mind, that the, the most powerful aspect of the United States of America right now is our federal government. And that's just not the case. Our Constitution was underwritten, you know, for our great nation, where we the people, we the people are the power. We the people. And that's really why, you know, really why I co-founded Americans for Justice is to unite people around that sentiment, you know. We can all debate, you know, Americans for Justice is not partisan. And, and, and it's meant that way for a reason. And, and the best way I could explain it is this. You know, we can have differences of opinions on policy issues. You know, whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, independent, libertarian, we can sit here and have those arguments and debates all day long. But if we don't have a foundation in which to have that argument or that debate, we're all losers. And that's the message that needs to resonate out with American people. You know, we essentially, you know, a lot of people don't realize it, but essentially we are a communist country at its core right now. And nothing shows that more than January 6th. Although you see that in, in all these, on these other battlefronts, you know, without a stolen election, you don't have January 6th. Right. You know, without, 
and you maybe know. without COVID, you don't have a stolen election. I mean, I don't know. But but that going to what Randy said about being nonpartisan, I, I believe the American people are, you know, whether whether you're a Democrat or Republican, I believe as citizens, we are closer together on things we agree on. We have more things in common than things that we don't. I think when our leadership gets involved and tries to convince us we hate each other or that you can't live next door to a, of somebody that's a Republican and not do battle with them. Because I think that it, overall, this country lives side by side with different cultures, different religions, different political perspectives. Uh, um, and just different ways of life. And I believe we live in harmony with each other at, for the most part. And, you know, go about our daily chores, thinking about our neighbors as people. Do they take out their trash? Do they mow their grass? Do they pick up their dog shit? I mean, I think these are the things that we care about in our neighbors, not whether they are, are Republicans or Democrats. And I, we, I think that we, have, we want the same things. And I think until our leadership gets involved, you know, we're happy with, with pursuing safe schools, um, good streets, um, police that will come to your door when, when bad things happen. Or, you know, uh, all the things that all of us as American people want, you know, the right to voice our, our opinion, whether you agree with people or not, their right to say these things, uh, those are, an, it's an American foundation. So, you know, once again, I'd just like to say, even if you don't agree with the, what the people were there protesting, you have to support the American right to protest. Yeah. Randy? Yeah. Um, just, I'm saying all that. Oh, sorry. No, no, that's fine. But yeah, I mean, I, I think, well, you know, kind of hand in hand with that. The one thing that I would say is, and, and you know, I heard this from, I believe it was Cash Patel um, at the Great American Reawakening Tour event in Rochester that I was at last weekend. Um, one of the things that he said is that the number one enemy of the people, and Trump has said this in the past, but I, I think Cash really showed the number one enemy of the people is mainstream media mainstream media in a free press you know you know contingent you know in our safeguards we're a nation you know our constitution our government everything was built by our founding forefathers with checks and balances in place and when even those checks and balances become corrupt themselves that's why we find ourselves in the situation where we are today and and number one in that you know hand in hand with big tech because obviously you know, censorship. Okay, maybe it's not the government doing it, but the government's doing it through big tech, allowing censorship and deplatforming, you know, people getting, getting, silencing people's voices in the public square, as you will. And mainstream media, and again, I mean, I think a lot of it is you have these handful of media giants, conglomerates that have bought up all the local news and TVs yeah. and all of this, where you've reached a point where the government now, you know, basically from up top gives the, the, the narrative that they want. They leak it. I mean, how much, of, how, much of, how much of the discovery in January 6th alone have you seen leaked purposefully by the FBI, by the DOJ, to mainstream media to present the narrative that they want the mayor to be? It's propaganda. And again, it goes back to Obama, 2012. Obama repealed um, through executive order legislation that was meant to prevent the federal government from using propaganda against its own people. Mm -hmm. We need to go back and put that in place. And more importantly, mainstream media enjoys certain protections as being part of press, you know, constitutional First Amendment protections for press. Those protections ought to only apply for truth and fact. If they report 
false information or withhold true information to paint a certain narrative, they ought to be able to, they, they ought to be sued and they ought to be able to, or you know have to pay to the fullest extent of the law. And that's really, I think, where you know when the whole notion is is that that the mainstream media is is, is the biggest enemy to people. Mainstream media is meant by by intent to be the last, last line of defense that holds a tyrannical government in check, that calls out their bad actions, that calls out their hypocrisy, their lies, their slander. And right now, the, it's, it's basically an extension of, of a state-run media. Yeah, um, even the hit piece they did on Ashley. So I'd like to say a little bit about her as well. You know, Ashley was a dynamic woman, an independent woman that anybody would be proud to have as a neighbor or a child. She um, committed to the Air Force when she was 17 years old. She was in Alaska by the time she was 18. She did four tours of duty in the Middle East. She was wounded on her 21st birthday, air flighted to Germany where they saved her life, but her womb was shredded. So she lost her ability to carry children. So ultimately she gave her her youth, her, her life, and, and her ability to have children in this country. And, and then she was denied rendering of honor simply for her, her participation in, in January 6th. And uh, that's just so ludicrous to me that somebody could, and it was one, I, I, and it's my belief that it was one um, Lieutenant General in the Air Force that denied her rendering of, of honors. But we had, you know, we had a lovely ceremony for her too, but it was just a further slap in the face because she did dedicate her life to this country and she loved this country and her intentions that day were to go and redress her government like she thought she had the right to do and like she did have the right to do. And they absolutely did not have the right to murder her and nobody has answered for it for 591 days now. And even the one interview that Michael Byrd did with Lester Holt where he was throwing big softballs and, and um, just had to say what he wanted to say up there looking like a dumbass Barney Fife of the police department. You know, he even admitted, well, I didn't see her hands. I didn't know she was female till later. I saved the world. You know, the things I want to say to Michael Byrd and Nancy Pelosi is just, you know, and and, and as far as the January 6th committee hearing goes, I don't know how they can have a committee hearing without saying names like Ashley Babbitt, Roseanne Boylan, Kevin Greeson, Benjamin Phillips, and Michael Byrd, a piece of fucking hero, put him up on the stand and ask him some questions because I would like to see him answer some real questions. And what do y'all what do y'all think about? Wasn't it like four Capitol Police officers all committed suicide within like a month or something? Yeah. What do you think uh, that was? Yeah, it wasn't within a month. Um, within the first, I believe, within the first month, there was two suicides. And I, I actually believe it was within a matter of weeks of January 6th. But then it was late later. I want to say it was in the month of June, two others. One at the beginning, one well, at the end. Well, we don't know because we, again, we don't hear too much about that. It'd be my personal opinion and that maybe there were some of the good officers that dressed up and went there that day. And maybe they were the ones that were going to say, this isn't right. You know, what happened isn't right. And so they got Clinton. That would be maybe, maybe <laughs> my way of looking at things. But, you know, who knows? That's the, that's the real truth is who knows? But I do know that, you know, the January 6th committee hearing, there was the um, former Sergeant Arms for the Capitol Police that was supposed to testify the next day. And he, he, he. Oh, yeah. He caught some death the night before. Oh yeah. yeah, that wasn't that long ago, right? Yeah, he was supposed to be. Uh, he was supposed to go before the committee. Oh, yeah. and, and he was he was killed the night before. So if that's not some suspicious shit, I don't know. You know, and all these things. You know, one coincidence, maybe two coincidences, maybe. But this is just a pattern where they feel like, and they really feel empowered to do whatever they want to do. When I went to the jail, I went to um. Guy Reffitt's on my first night here was the first of August, and I went to Guy Reffitt's sentence hearing. So. You know, I was with Nicole and her daughters, and we know that 
you know, the, the J6ers sing the national anthem. So after, you know, hanging around all day, we went to the jail to sing with them. And we were in the parking lot and the guard came out and said, well, you can't be in this parking lot. We're like, well, you know, we're singing the national anthem in the capital city of the United States of America. Shame on us. But he, he called for a bunch of backup. And um, we started up the sidewalk. And by the time we were, we, they started coming out of the building like cockroaches and chased us up the sidewalk. And one of them got in. And Nicole Reffitt is, is she's, a, she's a saucy thing, but she's not very big. She's a little tiny, tiny woman. And um, one of the guards, the detention facility guards got all so in her face that I took my phone out and I was, rec- was going to record it because I thought he was going to hit her. He was like all up in her stuff. And in the minute I t- took my phone out, he turned his aggression on me and he smacked my hand and knocked my phone out of my hand. So I'm just thinking these men feel so, these detention facility guards feel so empowered to treat these men like throwaways. And this is how they treat a couple of women on the sidewalk. Six of them, took six of them to come assault us. And that the, the, the empowerment they must feel and the way they feel that they're able to treat our people inside is, 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 is just speaks for, the, speaks for itself. And they have been treated horribly. We had one man have his hands zip tied behind his back and beat until it blinded him permanently. Um, just um, they say awful things to him. They deny we had one man that had an abscess tooth. He had to take a staple out of his paperwork and go in after his own abscess. And I don't know if you I, I just the thought of that is just just so disgusting. I mean, just disgusting the way they think they can treat these men like they're throwaway because there has been no recourse. You know, we had a couple of Congress people show up at the door and bang on the door and say, let us come in. We know you're treating our people horribly. And they said, no, 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 you can't come in right now. You can come back, you know, come back in a week. So then they did clean some stuff up and, and, and make a couple of changes. And then our, our Congress people went back, still deplorable conditions. And there's been nothing since. There's been no further action. on Why can't these men have visitation? For 591 days that's some isolation you know that's that's um just one more way to try to break them just one more way to try to break them and and if it is because of covid restrictions they've been relaxed and they've been lifted and and i feel the same way as like when we when covid was at its height and we had our um senior citizens dying in the hospital alone because they wouldn't let didn't want to let family let the family members in there to get the covid well i think it should again be your personal choice if you want to take a chance on getting COVID from going to see a man that's not vaccinated, I think that's your personal choice. You know, if you want to take precautions, wear a mask, uh, wh- whatever you want to do, I think, again, that goes to personal choice. If your loved one is behind bars and people have their own reasons for refusing this vaccination, then I think that that should be your choice. That if you want to take the risk of exposing yourself without being vaccinated, that should be, again, your choice as an American citizen to opt out of this vaccine but that doesn't mean you should be isolated from people that need you and that you need, you know, some of these men have children they haven't seen in a year and a half. Yeah. That's insane. It is. It is. Sorry. I'm, I'm kind of, you, you're very, you're, you're very hypnotizing to listen to. You carry oh. the conversation. Well, um, <laughs> I forgot, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, well then what kit, what, I, I don't know. I just sometimes I I, I do tend to talk pretty. No, you're, it's great. It's the it's the greatest aspect you can have as a podcast guest is someone that takes the reins and takes over. Um, so what is it that the that the average person can do, or what is it that will inevitably happen? Just in terms of probabilities, will something happen when a majority in Congress changes? If 
you know, I know Joe Kent just won <laughs> his his jungle primary and he's visited the J6ers before. I believe Anthony Sabatini has, who's coming up for election tomorrow, I believe. Uh, Mike Collins from Georgia has visited the J6ers and he won his Congress seat like a month or two ago. So realistically, what would it take? Would it be new faces in Congress? Would it be a shift in the makeup of Congress? Would it take a new president? Will it just take a breaking point? Will it take someone with money? What is it? I'm not to ask you. That is really a question I wish I knew the answer to. I am counting on some fresh faces in Congress because that couldn't hurt. And I believe, it is my belief, if you could get any person to take a look at what happened that day with an open mind and without clips that are cherry-picked and pre-selected, I believe you would also have every single person that watches raw footage of that day will go, oh my God, you know, there were, and I'm not saying, like I said, we're not here to decide who was naughty and who was nice. Some of the boys were misbehaved, but I didn't, I personally didn't see anything worth 590 days in solitary confinement. But, you know, I think that if any single person with an open mind would watch that footage, they would see the reprehensible behavior of the Capitol Police and at least open an investigation into that and realize that Americans that were there that day, for the most part, were peace-loving people want to be there to re- and, and law-abiding people that's the thing is you know when you see these people with these cherry-picked clips it's like you know Carl Fitzsimons he was reacting to seeing a woman getting beat in front of him and that goes to third-party defense it's like it's your obligation as a human to prevent murder that's happening in front of you and it doesn't matter if the perpetrator is wearing a uniform and a badge they're still committing murder I mean you know Lila Morris like I said I know I brought her name up again but it's horrific if you go back and look at it she literally beats Roseanne Boylan until she's tired of hitting her and then, then two weeks later, she gets touted as a hero at the Super Bowl. But I, I did, it's just so mind-boggling to me that this woman is still employed as a Capitol Police officer and that this footage is out there. And who do we get to have to look at it in, in order for it to make a difference? I don't know. I wish I knew the answer to that question because we tried to show it to everybody. Randy? Yeah, well, it's, you know, let me go back to your original question. Like, what's it going to take? Um, I mean, there's... With them? I said, yeah, what is it going to take? Those I mean, there's so many different levels to it. Well, number one is, the one thing I will say is there's a lot of people that have been fighting on the front lines of this and exposing a lot of this as much as they can. Um, but there's so much more that needs to be done. I mean, there's so much video footage out there. Every, you know, I've I've been involved with this, you know, really since the beginning with Kara Casanova. Yeah, me, Kara Casanova, <laughs> Kerry McBride. David Summerall. Um, we're the ones who really looked into and exposed a lot of what she's talking about with Lila Morris. Yeah. Um, because up until then, you know, it, it came out, you know, Roseanne Boylan was trampled by Trump supporters trying to get into the Capitol. Total bullshit. Then it came out after the autopsy that she died of a drug overdose. Total, Total bullshit. bullshit. And then that's when we really started kind of looking into, into things and we identified and we, 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 we found clips showing Lila Morris doing what she did. Um, and then, you know, and the immediate aftermath of that, uh, Philip Anderson. Philip Anderson came forward. I was holding Roseanne Boylan's hand when she died, when he believes he was holding her hand uh, at the moment that her life left her body. And so and he also, like Jake Lane, he's one of the J6 detainees. Uh, Philip Anderson credits him with saving his life. He said, without Jake being there, pushing back and fighting back, I would not be alive today. 
Tommy Tatum, same one, right there beside them. You know, the fact of the matter is what happened was, law, you know, those law enforcement officers in that tunnel, Capitol Police and Metro PD, pushed so hard and so aggressively that even in spite of screams, because Roseanne Boylan's best friend, Justin, was standing right there screaming, you're killing her, you're killing her. And that's really that. that's really what uh, uh, made a lot of these guys and, and the one thing I will say, you watch these videos, there's so much video of it that's available, even without releasing discovery. But it, it, um, Ronald Maccabee, Maccabee was a sheriff at the time. He was there on the front. And it's like, you watch the video of it, he took substantial blows trying to push them back and get those cops to stop so that life-saving uh, services could be rendered to these people including Roseanne Boylan. And, and it's like, how does somebody like that get his door kicked in, gets arrested, gets fired as a sheriff, and is now, he's been, what, 390-some days, indefinitely detained. I mean, somebody like that who stepped up into action, you know, to me, he's one of the biggest heroes of that day. He really is. And it's like, this is the thing. I mean, what's it going to take? I think the short answer is there's a lot of things that we can all do on a day-to-day basis. You know, at, at, at the American for Justice website, we have a call to action page. There's six or seven different things that can happen. Every single American can write a letter to their state's attorney general. Um, and I explained that, you know, in the first section of that call to action page, 95% of the arrests that occurred related to January 6th. The FBI and the DOJ created their own arrest warrant and their own search warrant, then went on, went on to sovereign state territory where they have no jurisdiction, and they affected or executed their own warrants. The U.S. That, that is a direct violation of the U.S. Constitution, U.S. Code, and the state constitution. There, there's, there's, a, there, there's a function of all of that called the extradition compact that lays out exactly how a federal agency or a federal agent is to affect an arrest warrant. Now, what you need to understand is each of the 50 states is a sovereign nation state unto its own. Federal government has no jurisdiction whatsoever. That means that if they want to arrest somebody, they have to go to a state agency, whether it's the governor, whether it's the attorney general, or even the county sheriff. They then have to look into it and make sure that everything's on the up and up. Then they are the ones who go and execute a search warrant or an arrest warrant. And then they bring that individual back to the magistrate court there locally, who then, that's all part of due process. You know, that due process is in place to protect each U.S. citizen from illegal search and seizure, from the overreach of the federal government. And the reason why I mention all of that is I just want people to understand only an attorney general has a direct line to the Supreme Court. Anything that they bring to the Supreme Court, um, the Supreme Court has to make a decision on within 28 days or consider it within 28 days. And so only the uh, state's attorney general has the power to bring a writ of habeas corpus direct to the Supreme Court where they would then have to look at this. Now, we have 250 years of precedence here in America where the Supreme Court has upheld the sovereignty of the states over the overreach of the federal government. And so that's probably the quickest way to get all J6ers out, all charges dropped, 
because the moment that, you know, if the Supreme Court was passed down a decision in line with what they've done the last 250 years, immediate dismissal, immediate release. Um, so that's one of the things. The other part of it is, in the, in, in the case of here in D.C., every single one of these J6 cases are being tried here in Washington, D.C. And all these judges sitting from the bench, and we saw this in person a couple of times already, where there's blatant bias on the, on, on the, on the parts of the judges. I think every single one of these judges at one point in time within their own courtroom in session has said that anybody who thinks that the 2020 election was stolen is a conspiracy theorist. Like she said, we've had judges that have said, you know, the only patriots that were there that day, law enforcement. Bullshit. When you have when you have military veterans, decorated military veterans that have gone out and sacrificed so much for this country, right? And they took an oath to the Constitution. The reason they stood there in Washington, D.C. at this, at this event, at this rally, is because they took an oath to the Constitution. And for these judges. To sit here and say that they aren't patriots? Who are they? You know, that that really boils my blood. My when God. a judge never, ever, ever did anything in this country, sacrificed in any way for this country, want to take our national heroes and say that they're not patriots, right. put them in jail indefinitely and treat them the way that they are? Right. Bullshit. Or murder us and not have to answer to it. You know, I, I would get into the call at Simon's trial because, you know, lawyers have been an issue in this situation and the judges have too. And we like we, we were worried about them getting a fair trial in D.C. But after the January 6th committee hearing, now it's a question of whether they can get a fair trial anywhere in this country. But I do want to say, um, what was her, what was the, or the, defense, the defense attorney's name? Tasha? Uh, Natasha Taylor Smith. Natasha Taylor Smith. She's a public defender in D.C. And she was Calfit Simon's public defender, and she was amazing. You know, she she brought up the she. I thought she was going to make Officer Ganol cry like a baby. He, I mean, he usually cries because he's so proud of himself. And he, according to him, he single handedly saved the earth that day. But he um, he's just so full of, and he's so used to people saying, telling him what a hero he was, that he could not take some real question. He became very combative when, when our, when the defense attorney like called him out on his shit. And he was like, well, I say, I don't know. I see what that picture says, but I know I was there when the picture clearly shows Kyle Fitzsimons not touching his, his, his person or, or his, or his uh, shield. And she was like, well, you know, is it possible that you have a, um, a financial interest in the way this trial turns out? And once you said it was Kyle Fitzsimons, you had to stick with that because that was your story. And isn't that the truth? And she grilled him like a hamburger. It was just, it was amazing. It was amazing to see her work so hard because she is actually a liberal um, Democrat or a liberal. I don't really know. I'm not exactly sure what her persuasion is, but she defended him like he was her little brother. And I think that um, that was, it was amazing to see. And she also pointed out the fact that, you know, some of those Capitol police weren't behaving so well that day. And also, um, you know, addressed the fact that Kyle Fitzsimons was seeing Victoria White get beat with an inch of her life. And I don't even, like I said, I don't even know if the prosecutor knows what he put up on the screen because they're so used to just being going, yeah, it's Trump supporter. He did it. And the judge goes, yep, guilty. I mean, that's been our, that's been our experience. And then, you know, if you can get a judge to like, um, in Guy Reffitt's case, 
he was not given the enhancement charge, but he was given seven years and he didn't even go inside the building. He didn't assault anybody that day. He didn't go inside the building. He was, he was rubber bulleted and pepper sprayed and still he got seven and a half years, but he didn't get the enhancement charge, but he did have to listen to the judge say, you know, everybody there, there that day was wrong. They, they were the antithesis of a patriot and, you know, all the things that she says to all the Trump supporters. And I also heard her say something that disturbed me where, well, I'm going to go look back and see how my colleagues decided on this and I'll base my opinion on that. Well, you know, you're wearing today, today, Judge Friedrich, you're wearing the robe. You have the gavel. You tell us what you think. You know, you listen to the evidence and you decide. Don't go back and base your opinion off these unfair decisions that have already been made. You know, you're the judge here. You have the robe. Obviously, you know that because you're talking down to us like we're a bunch of peons. So obviously, you know that his fate is in your hands. So I think that she should decide these things herself and not go look, go backwards and look and see what other people have decided. But th these are the things we're up against, you know, and, and the, the judge, Judge Contreras, I think, is is uh, the judge in, in Coffin Simon's case. And I would just hope because in, in my mind, the public defender disproved at least three of his assault charges and um, went into the fact that there were possibly extenuating circumstances for his assault charges because he was seriously trying to get to Victoria White. And in the process he threw, he had a, um, an unstrung wooden bow and he threw it. This is the kind of shit we're up against. He threw it in the direction of the police. He's, first he yells, please don't beat her. Please don't beat her. Please stop beating her. And then he throws this unstrung bow it glances off another Capitol police officer and then off the wall and comes back and hits the lady that there was a Capitol police officer that was a witness at that point. And it hit her in her riot helmet that is designed to take a bullet. And it took a glancing of a stick. And, and, and um, our, our lawyer's like, well, where did it hit you? Well, I don't know, somewhere around here, but I felt it. Well, they're counting that as an injury and an assault on a police officer because she was grazed in her riot helmet with a stick and couldn't even really tell you exactly where it hit her in this helmet that's designed to stop a bullet. And they want to talk about, you know, excessive use of force. Well, every time they brought up the excessive use of force, it kind of turned my stomach because I'm thinking, you know, they definitely used excessive use of force on my daughter. They definitely used excessive use of force on Roseanne Boylan, on Kevin Greeson, and on so many people that we haven't even heard about yet because I mean, there's a lot going on in that crowd. There's also footage of this one man that breaks the, the police line and he does run up and like... I'm going to say seven Capitol Police officers hold him down on the ground and beat the shit out of him. And he's not even resistant. He's just laying face down on the ground, getting kicked, getting baton, getting beaten. There's footage of that out there, too. So I would just hope that, you know, like you said, what's going to have to happen? And would it be fresh faces in Congress? I hope so. But like I said, it's my opinion that if you can get anybody in a position of authority to actually look at some of this footage, that they would not be able to not take action. So I think that, you know, that's the answer is to get some of these things in front of people, you know, and, and then have, you know, I, I went to CPAC and I talked to Ted Cruz and um, I asked him when he was going to do something for the J6ers. And he said, he's trying, he's trying so hard. And I, I want to know how he's trying. You know, I understand he's up against a wall. But I think that, you know, if you kick a wall hard enough, long enough, it's going to, I just don't understand where all the effort is. I mean, where are our, where are our people? You know, you expect the, the left leaders to, to, oh, those are just Trump supporters and let them go away and just throw away the key. But the silence on the right has been deafening, you know, and that's why these people think that they've, they've just been throwaway people. You wouldn't be surprised how much they feel like, you know, America has just forgotten and thrown them away because that's very much the case. We don't have our leaders standing up and going, no, at the very least, these men are entitled to their American born rights or constitution rights or human rights. We truly, seriously treat uh, political prisoners better than we treat the people that that, that are our hostages right now nancy pelosi's hostages for 591 days now
Mickey, I, I think you need to start a podcast. <laughs> kind of along the lines of what, I, what she's saying, I think ultimately, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know when things are going to change? It's when we successfully change the hearts and the minds of the American people. And it all goes back to what I was saying about we the people and uniting and coming together. The fact of the matter is there's enough truth out there that exists openly yeah. in so many different places. But the average American can look at some of this stuff objectively. Don't believe what you see on CNN or MSNBC or any of these other outlets. Hell, don't even believe what's on Fox. Forget Fox News. Forget all the news. There's actual real video of exactly what she's describing. I know I've seen thousands of hours of it in doing the research and investigation <laughs> that I have done. Another thing, too, at the conference, Charlie, Simon Charlie had the FBI up there, the FBI witness up there. And he's supposed to be some expert. And you have, you know, you have <laughs> you have the prosecutor kind of leading him along and like, OK, Agent we're going to say this, right. say that. And um, he goes, well, have you put in a lot of hours watching footage? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I've looked at case after case after case. And the prosecutor goes, well, how many hours would you think that you've looked at that footage? And he said, at least 50 and i thought to myself shit we did that at home just this weekend just this weekend for his so him to think he's some kind of expert because over the course of you know 10 12 15 i don't know how many cases he has if he's looked at this footage for 50 hours that's nothing that's nothing it's especially since to actually see what's going on because if you watch any clip from that day all there is so much going on that they who was it that put up when they they try to put up um, behavior. This is uh, CNN, I believe. They try to um, like put up footage of of people behaving badly, and we're looking in the background, going, "That's Lena Morris beating Roseanne Boylan to death." So they put that footage up on 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 TV on CNN and didn't even know what they had just shown us. But but my point is, fifty hours of looking over the, this tape is really nothing because you have to slow it down. You have to frame by frame it. You have to look at like seriously look at what happened, and you have people that are piled under each other and trying to you know, get through the pile of people. You you do have to put the time in to slow the footage down and see what actually happened. And that does that doesn't even take into account these FBI agents. I mean, every single Chase X defendant has a statement of facts that is the basis for going out, getting an arrest warrant, and doing everything they're doing. And like specifically, I want to call out this this FBI agent Thomas Ryan. I bet you do. I do. I know. Because it's like when you actually look at the statement of facts, what they do, and this is this is the part of it where the FBI is just so evil, absolutely evil, is they'll take a screenshot, a screen grab of a video, and then write this lengthy paragraph talking about how this shows Kyle Fitzsimmons, Simons, grabbing uh, a shield. When you actually slow it down in a court of law, Frame by frame by frame, he didn't. Kyle never touched that never shield. Touched never touched that shield. And so the judge for the last year and a half has kept Kyle indefinitely detained in the DC gulag, treated like he has on that one screenshot. He knows he's lying. He knows he's lying. And this is the, if he doesn't know, he lies, he shouldn't be an FBI agent. Absolutely. FBI agents are supposed to be above politics. Law enforcement is supposed to be above politics. And these people are operating strictly and solely on politics. And I think that's one of the things that are most refreshing that came out of the Kyle trial is, like she said, the public defender. Amazing. We know the public defender worked, worked for the Hillary campaign. We know she voted for Joe Biden. 
Um, that's, you know, she won't, you know, that information is there. It's on our social media, it's whatever. But the fact of the matter is she recognizes, even in being a Democrat in all of that, she recognizes that every U.S. citizen has the constitutional rights of what, what, what they believe. And if they believe that 2020 election was stolen, there are certain uh, uh, things that, that we are given, rights that we are given, protesting protected First Amendment rights, you know, free speech, uh, peacefully protest, a redress of grievances. And she, I think she master, masterfully communicated that, kind of put herself out of her shoes, put her into the shoes of Kyle and what Kyle's thoughts were. Yeah. And she, the, I think the biggest thing that she evacerated the FBI and the DOJ on that was countering the FBI likes to rip things out and play God in terms of what someone's intent was. Why did this person go come from the state of Maine all the way to D.C.? Well, they came because they wanted to storm the Capitol. They came because it wasn't good enough that they didn't, they didn't win the election, so they wanted to go in and actually change the election. That is what the FBI and the DOJ would have you say. But the evidence shows that a person came to peacefully protest he called up his congresspersons in advance of this, asking them and begging them to do the right thing, contest the elector, electoral votes that, that were cast. That is a peaceful, that's a constitutional pro process. And the FBI and the DOJ, they are far, and even the judges in the case, they reference as if the higher bar and the higher priority is a peaceful transition of power. If you have a stolen election, how can you possibly have a reasonable expectation of a peaceful transfer of power? And I think Daphne Frieder, Daphne Friedrich is one of the judges that the, the, in the sentencing for Guy Raffick, she, she said, you know, here in America, if people have, have you know, problems or if there's ir irregularities in our elections, we have courts in place to handle that. But every court case that was brought against the 20 or pertaining to the 2020 election was found to be baseless and was tossed out. Excuse me, Judge. The whole reason why 70 plus million Americans today believe that election was stolen is because every one of those challenges brought to a court was tossed out without being heard or the evidence looked at. It was just that judge gave the very reason of why that election was stolen in the first place. And, also, and I think she's incompetent to actually believe the drivel, or she's a willful, complicit person covering it up. Way to clean that up, Randy. I'm just saying, I mean, there's only two ways you can go about it. I'd like to think that she's incompetent, saying what she actually believes. Right. But at the same time, then why are you a judge in that position? Right. You ought not to be there. Right. You need to get out. We need to find a way to get these judges out. And if you can't leave your politics at the door and and, and decide cases on fact. Or decide them for yourself without looking back and see right. what, what unfair decisions your colleagues have already made. Right. But another thing that the, um, the public defender did was a good job of was to not let the FBI say that, you know, every single person there that day 
had their own intentions. It's like, just because this person had these intentions does not mean they speak for Coffin Simon's. Coffin Simon's intentions don't speak for John Mellis's intentions. You know, they all went there to redress their government. But if there were people behaving badly that day, that's on that individual, not on the group as a whole, because everybody had their own behavior and their own reasons for being there that day. So she made that clear too. Like I said, she defended him like he was her little brother and it was very impressive to watch. Yeah, I mean... And she made Ganol cry, so that was a that was a plus for me. She what? She made Officer Ganol Ganel? Ganel. Officer Ganel. She made him cry like a little bitch. <laughs> it's good for me. I don't know. It was good. For me. I think it was better when when she kind of got him fired up. <laughs> and it's like she she would ask questions, and it's like very simply, it goes to show that he's lying, and it's almost as as he could register in his own mind. Oh my goodness, that's not what happened. Right. Then he, yeah, how dare, how dare you question me? <laughs> right. I'm a hero. He has to even say, I'm a hero. I'm the one that can never become, I can't do what I've always wanted to do in law enforcement because I have a so shoulder injury. Oh yeah, you know, worst that, pain ever. Yep. It was It was on the tail. I mean, his, his little, little um, shoulder strap harness got pulled. And it was the worst pain ever. It was a 10 on the Richter scale. And I, I, I would love to be one of those insurance investigators that kind of follow a person around and vote videos and take photos of what a person does. Because I dare say that in his everyday life, there's no injury. He's using this as an excuse to cash in and yeah. get out and it's got several, disability this and disability yeah. that. And several civil cases. He's got several civil cases going. Yeah. He's actually been paid for the upwards of some of the upwards of 60 interviews he's done where he just hears himself say the same thing over and over again. And he's convinced himself that that's the truth. And um, he has a, a book deal pending. So he actually, he does have a very, um, he does have a financial interest in the way this trial turns out. And he got there up there and lied his ass off and, uh, she called him out on it, and it was a beautiful thing to watch. I think I think the most telling thing is the title of his 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 working title of the book, an, an American treason treason, an immigrant's story of saving democracy. Saving democracy. Something he saved along democracy that, that yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got to commend the uh, the delusion. Got to commend the ability to be that delusional. You know, well, it, the delusion for him though go flips to the other side. This is the thing, he's been almost his entire time since all of that, you know, being home on leave or this or that, going and looking at clips and turning those clips into the FBI, trying to write up how come you're not going out? And then he goes out in public and gives his interviews. Hey, well, how, how come you're not? You know, how come we not charging this person for like 60 years? Why are you putting this person in jail for life? And then, and then he said also just some some things were just, just stupid because like we said, like the, the, the aggressors who I believe were FBI in, um, activists, I mean, F, F, FBI um, infiltrators or, or hired FBI people to be there, some Antifa imports. And instead of dealing with the, the people in the front line that were being aggressive and being violent, like we said, we, they launched their munitions over into the peaceful part of the crowd. And he, at one point in the trial, said, well, we kept shooting them with canisters of tear gas, and it was just making them angry. Well, you know, no shit, Sherlock. It's like, I, I, what do you expect? You're firing on I mean, you know, a man standing there next to his wife, and he sees her foot get blown up. 
You think that's not going to make him angry? Of course it's going to make him angry. You have people like Kyle Fitzsimons who are right there at the at the face of the tunnel watching. Victoria was the most extreme that I, I can think about, but she's certainly not the only one in that tunnel that took a beating. They did almost kill her, and I don't know the extent of everybody else's injuries, but, you know, Kyle Fitzsimons, like I said, he's right there watching her take baton blow after baton blow after baton blow to the head, and and as an American citizen, you, you, you want to prevent that, not just to mention, you know, Eric, Men have this protective, you know, they want to protect, I don't want to say a chauvinist comment, but men inherently protect women. And he saw a woman getting beat with an inch of her life and he was called to action from that. And and like I said, to me, I think that's admirable. I don't think, and, and it doesn't matter that the person beating her was a cop because I, you, I, I, every time I watch it, I'm like, what is it about her that made him want to hurt her so bad? Because he was reaching over other, other, um, Patriots. He was reaching over his own police officers, just cracking her in the head. Like you're like you you just, you can't even really watch it. It's so painful to watch. And I just don't understand why why it was her that he just targeted like that. Like he just had to beat the shit out of her, like over and over and over in the head. And they had just talked about how you know when you strike somebody in the head, that's used a lethal force. So he repeatedly hit her in the head and punched her in the face. So and the one thing, let me just tie it all up like this. Like I said before, there's so many different levels of complexity. And one of the things is, you know, we're sitting here talking about that one tunnel and, and that one that we're carrying on about a lot of what transpired there. And that is a big part of it. But if you kind of back up out of this from a high level, you know, 10,000 square foot view, then, then what you really see is why was National Guard support not there that day? It was authorized by the president. I mean, you have the, the chief of Capitol Police came out with his statement, gave his timeline. He requested it two days before. He requested it the day before. The day of five, six, seven requests for it to the Capitol Police Board. Capitol Police Board, there's two individuals that would basically the decision makers. You have a third person that was never ever asked or consulted. That's the Capitol architect. But you have the, 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 the Sergeant of Arms of the House, Sergeant of Arms of the Senate. One reports directly to Pelosi, one reports directly to McConnell, okay? The, 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 the Sergeant of Arms of the Senate, that was Stanger. I think his name was Michael Stanger or Marcus Stanger, or one of them, forget his first name. But he's the Sergeant of Arms of the Senate that was there that day, kind of presided all over this. We mentioned earlier, he was murdered. He was cold blood murder. Then he was dropped off he, while walking across the street to his apartment building, he was gunned down. He wasn't the only one. There was two individuals that were gunned down that day. And the reports are that a portion of that was captured on video. So why is the mainstream media not reporting that? Mm -hmm. Mainstream media is a point. Well, he was diagnosed with cancer. Get the fuck out of here. You know what I mean? But, I mean, it's, based, it's these kinds of questions that need to be asked. Let me give you another question. When President Trump was done speaking at the, at the Ellipse, right, and everybody then started kind of making their way to the Capitol, that's a 40, 40 to 45-minute walk. There was law enforcement officers that people shook hands, fist bumped, back the blue, took selfies with, was joking around with. Why is it that not a single law enforcement officer that day because keep in mind, the Capitol had been breached prior to Trump ending his speech. 
Why did not one single law enforcement officer put up their hands and tell the Patriots, hey, stop, don't go there. The Capitol's been breached. Don't go. Right? Any other state or town in America, when law enforcement responds to a scene and knows that something's going on that shouldn't, the first thing they do is create a perimeter and make sure people don't go. How come that didn't happen at the Capitol? Right? Hours after hours after hours, they're still just letting people go. Why? I mean, this is to me, this is elementary. Why, why is that question not being asked, much less answered, right? Where was communication? I mean, somebody from the high on top we did have, not spread the word to the law enforcement officers scattered throughout the city that day. Well, and we we went we met just recently, like this trip, like I'm gonna say probably a week ago. We were talking to a Capitol Police officer at a gas station, and he had no idea, you know, who I was or who was not, not that I'm anybody special, but he had no idea that I had a vested interest in the question. And we were talking about the Capitol breach, and he said, Well, from what was going on over the radio, it didn't sound like a big deal. It sounded like, oh yeah, I know what happened, what was happening was much worse than we got the impression over the radio. So was there an urgent call for help or was it just, was it orchestrated exactly how they wanted it to be? And why were they understaffed? And those staff that were, that they did have, if they weren't expecting a large crowd, they sure came in their riot gear. You know, they came in their little gas masks and, you know, they're complaining about, oh, it was so hard to, Officer Gunnell, you know? Yeah, Officer Gunnell complaining about how hard it was to breathe in the tunnel because of all the tear gas. Well, it's you people spraying it. You cops are spraying each other. You're spraying the crowd. You're spraying each other. The winds belong this way. And you got a face full of tear gas. Well, there's a shocker. You know, I mean, they're just like literally spraying it into the wind and then complaining because they can't breathe. But but the thing is that they, they weren't interested in gaining control. They were interested in street warfare. And they did it the way gangs do it. They lined up with the front people. And as soon as the front people got tired of kicking and punching American patriots, they rotated the back and brought up a fresh group to punch and kick American patriots. And then, then when they got tired, they and it went on for hours like that. And I just wish that somebody would look at the fact that they did not operate as a police force that day. They operated as a street gang with better weapons, shields, and face masks. And then, you know, oh, poor us, we can't breathe through our face masks. Well, stop squirting the shit. You know, I mean, everywhere. You know, and Officer Gunnell also said, well, when we use it, we do short two, three-second bursts in people's face. That's not what I saw. I saw you empty your canister right in people's faces. Just empty your canister. And then, you know, complains it's hard to breathe. And he also said, oh, I, I, I had effects of that. Two or three weeks later, I could still feel the chemicals on my skin. Well, you know, that's too bad. Sorry for you. Only not really. <laughs> but another question to ask about that day is this. I think it was January 6th, the very first event ever in Washington, D.C., where there were zero counter-protesters. The, yeah, I don't know. There's always counter-protesters. Yeah. There's always. I mean, I've been part of myself probably 20 different events where there were counter-protesters. Sure. Why was there no counter-protesters that day? The fact of the matter is the reason why is because Antifa and BLM and these individuals they died the magic caps to blend in. Right. You know why I mean? were the why were the people that are around my daughter when she was shot the same people that were there when they the, it is just like the same 10 faces keep showing up. If you watch um Epic Times uh, the truth about January 6th, the people that were standing beside my daughter when she was shot are the same people who were there when the when the first breach originally happened and also not been picked up by the FBI. You know, John Sullivan, who sold my daughter's snuff film to CNN for ninety-five thousand dollars, did what two days in jail? 
I mean, I, I'm really not exactly sure that they, I know I don't want to misquote myself, but he's not in the gulag with our J6 defendants. And he profited from my daughter's death. Uh, Michael Byrne has profited from my, my daughter's death. He set up a gift saying go. And Adam Kinsinger, who sits on the January 6th committee as one of our Republicans, donated $200 to Michael Byrne's gift saying go fund and then bragged about it. So I think, you know, I think that should make him have to recuse himself. And our other Republican was Liz Cheney. Oh, God. I mean, how does that help us? Liz Cheney doesn't even know which side of the fence she wants to fall off on. But I hope one day she falls <laughs> off that fence and somebody eats her. But I think that that's, that's pretty much what has happened because I think it's bye-bye Liz. But my point is she's already done the damage. She was already a, one of our two people on that committee that really didn't do anything but but make it worse for us and, and further perpetuate the lies that have already been told. And do we need somebody on that committee with our with our one hope as a Republican, as somebody that donated to Michael Byrd's gifts and GoFund? I don't think we do. I don't think we need him. Well, this is the thing that, that I've said for the longest. You're not going to fix the corrupt system by using the corrupt system. Yeah. What you're basically asking us to do. Right. You know, when you have people that don't even, they don't even know the Constitution or the Bill of Rights, getting elected into office, I mean, how do you expect them to uphold the Constitution? Well, I'd like to ask AOC to recite, you know, just recite the preamble to the Constitution of the, of the United States. I would like to see if she would even know how Listen, to start it. Listen, I would like to see the test given for immigrants that they have to take to gain residency or become a resident of this country, you know, I would like to see all of Congress take that very test. I bet I, I bet I couldn't pass it. I'm, I have friends that are that are first generation immigrants from uh, from Bulgaria and Kosovo. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, no, no, they you know the green cards for several years and they both became citizens like two three years ago. Yeah, their knowledge of America far exceeds mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my whole point. I yeah. mean, I'm involved with a lot of a lot of people. Um, but you're I, not a sitting United States senator. You know, you're not a sitting true. United States congressman. Um, that's when you should definitely know that document front to back and sure. execute it and execute it on a daily basis. And I don't. I think we're so far removed from that. And it just seems to be well, you know, one more violation of the Constitution. Well, you know, oh well, no big deal. And people, it is a big deal. And people that say, you know, well, we need to move past January 6th. Well, guess what, people? You know, American citizens were unarmed. American citizens were murdered that day. They were beat that day. And they've been unjustly jailed and had the key thrown away. That should be a big friggin' deal to every American citizen. Because this, you know, and people said it before, at this time, it's it's them. Next time, it may be you. And when they decide to take your rights away, then maybe it will matter to you. But, you know, I don't know how mad I can be at the American people because a year and a half ago, you would have had to convince me that the FBI was capable capable of these things. So you would have had to convince me that, you know, the Capitol Police as a unit were, were, were did bad things that day because uh, my whole life I have been pro-government, pro, well, uh, pro-government, but you know what I mean, pro like, yeah, yeah. you know, a law-abiding citizen. And I believe in back in the, you know, the, the police. And I still, to this day, even though they murdered my child, with the exception of the Capitol Police, I believe that most American police officers get up every day and put that 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 uniform and that shield on and go out and 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 want to do good things and protect American people. And I believe most of them that do put on the badge would lay down their life for you and BSA have sworn they would done what would do. But I think, like I said, the Capitol Police are a completely different circumstance. They're a completely different entity. They're they're just their own private club, you know. And and then let's another the way that the um, 
and that Nancy Pelosi acts, it's like, how dare the unwashed masses show up at the palace? Because she really believes that's her little personal playhouse. And when she's no person is above the law, well, let's look at her her husband's recent drunk driving activity. You know, was yeah, he right. above the law? Did she go right to her nephew, who's the governor of California, and go, hey, Gavin, Uncle Phil's down, what's his name? Oh, Uncle Paul's down there, and he got picked up. Can you go get him out of jail? And then that got swept under the rug. Again, going back to the fact that the mainstream media is in bed with the with the government, because you know, if that would have been Trump's kid, I don't want to use Trump as, a, as an example, but you know, he's sprung to mind. So if that would have been Don Jr., <laughs> you know that would have been all over the news. How many people know Paul Pelosi got picked up for drunk driving and actually had an accident to the point where his eye was blo- was was black and his mugshot was really ugly but you didn't get to see his mugshot but like i said you know if it would have been on the other side of the aisle that would have been slandered and pla- i mean just plastered everywhere but no i don't i would venture to say that most americans don't know paul pelosi got a drunk driving got in a drunk driving accident yeah and one of the things i'll just hit on is kind of like what you're saying i i personally believe and this is the thing this is this didn't happen yesterday this didn't happen overnight you go back to, and again, I, I think it really went into full. It, it certainly had started long before this. But when Obama first took office, that's really where the screws started changing in a lot of this. Where these people, and then those people that were put into position of authority within our government, whether it's Comey, Clapper, or Brennan, all of these, they weaponized the good of Americans who believed in the good of law in our justice system and everything else. They weaponize that against us. And that's what people need to understand. The people in blue, the people we've always looked at as to safeguard us, as to protect our rights, you know, all of that. These are the people right now in power that have been working for decades you know, we refer to it as a deep state or, you know, however you may want to think about it. But look at what the FBI's record is over the last, I don't know, two, three years. I mean, with the kidnapping plot that never would have happened without FBI involvement. Yeah. Of, that was of, ugly. Whitmer. Gretchen Whitmer. Yeah. And then you look at January 6th. And again, right at the, the funniest thing about it is, and I don't know if you, you're aware of this, but the FBI agent in charge back at the uh, Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping plot was was miraculously promoted. It was in place in D.C. before January 6th. Not only that, but now you look and see what's happening with Trump and Mar-a-Lago raid. You know, the FBI is the heart and soul of the deep state. And I don't think you have to peel too many levels of the onion away before you see the same thing in our intelligence community, whether it's the CIA, the NSA, and some of these other, and DOJ, there's no distinction between the DOJ and the FBI. Um, And again, I mean, the one thing I will say is, because I'm going to correct you on something. I'm from New York, yes. I'm from New York City. I deal with the NYPD, right? And this communist takeover you know, that, that really started in large part, and I don't know if, if, if you guys are aware of this, call me Brennan and Clapper. Two of those have bragged openly in public about being communists. Comey and Brennan. Why well, I was unaware. Okay, and what I'm going to say is when they were appointed by Obama, I've had four retired FBI agents tell me that at that moment in time, we noticed a big, drastic difference. 
conservative, conservative leading people were, were not hired and conservative leading people within who stood up and questioned things, they were pushed out. They were passed over for promotion. I have seen this single-handedly the last decade that I've lived in New York City with the NYPD. Good officers being forced out because they go out and they do their job, but you have a corrupt DA, bail reform, and all this other crap. When you go out and you arrest people according to the law, and then you have a DA that opens the jail doors and lets them out onto the streets. How often do you think a good cop is going to stay there and keep doing that? This is what I'm saying. That's a good point. You know, I'm not saying that the vast majority of law enforcement today aren't good people that want to do good things. But I'm telling you, we're, we're reaching a point where there's far more of the bad cops willing to do whatever they're told for that pension or that whatever than the ones that stand up and know the right from wrong and have the balls to actually do what's right. That's what I'm seeing. So, Well, I've had minimal contact with law enforcement. So <laughs> I'm just saying, Randy. You're not um, in this line of work. I'm not, I'm, I'm not. And I, and I, like, I'm from California, so my experience with the police would be completely different than what Randy's um, yeah. experience would be. But and I wouldn't argue that because... I've heard similar things, but I just mean with the spirit in which sure. police officers go forth with their day, I believe they have good hearts and good intentions. So yeah. when I'm bashing on the Capitol Police, no, I mean only the Capitol Police, yeah. possibly, possibly the Metro Police. Yeah. And um, well, we need to wrap this up because I, I got another podcast in, in five minutes, but I would love to have yeah. you two back on. That was, <laughs> that was that was fun. Y'all are fiery. And uh, I will put in the description the websites you guys gave me. Everybody listening, please go visit those websites. And anything else you want me to put in there? Um, we're at the jail every night from 7 to 9.30 to sing the national anthem and stand in solidarity with our American um, political prisoners. So we'll be here till the end of August, and we may be extending that. But absolutely, till the end of August from 7 to 9.30 around the backside of the jail where they keep our people. So if anybody wants to join us, please do. And I, I did send you a flyer. I don't know if this yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, this weekend, especially, we're going to have a big weekend here, there at the jail. Yeah. Starting off, kicking off on Friday at, at, at 7 p.m., 7 p.m., 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all in the flyer. It's yeah, it's in the flyer. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I'll put that in there. Make you, Randy. Thank you so much for joining Thank me. Thank you so it's much. Been a pleasure talking. That was awesome. I'd love to have you guys on again sometime. That was awesome. God bless. Stay safe.